everybody. Today, I want to talk to you about adoption. Adoption. When you hear that word, adoption, that is, what comes to mind? Is it rescuing little kids, keeping a baby from becoming an orphan? Do words like forever home float up in your head? Or maybe images of courtrooms fill your mind. I mean, we've all seen those, right? Mom and dad holding a baby or a toddler whose biological parents died tragically. And maybe, you know, that child comes from a country on the other side of the world and this is their new hope or their fresh start. There's tears in everybody's eyes. And the stoic judge's voice wavers as she too feels the emotion of the moment. You know, a judge that in another circumstance would deliver harsh judgment, but now is at the point of tears as she pronounces that these children now have a forever family. Wow. It's a beautiful picture, right? It's moving. It's super moving. It's a great act of grace, you know, bringing hope to the hopeless, new life to the powerless, standing in for the most vulnerable, all of the feels. It's all, all of the feelings. So when we read of adoption in the Bible, this is the image that should come to our mind, right? I mean, th this is what that is, right? But, but what if that's the wrong image? What if adoption in the Bible means something totally different? And what if a shift in your understanding of this biblical concept will give you your biggest why ever? Why you should take your leadership seriously and why you should continuously be growing and increasing your capacity. My name is Adam Shaw and this is The Restorationist. Well, hey there, everybody. I hope you're having a fantastic day. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I'm so very grateful that you would give me this kind of time in your day. And, and speaking to all of you, my listeners, I need your help. I really do need your help. I need your help in crafting an interview episode with me. I've gotten a bunch of requests from some listeners that, that, are, that are telling me, look, we love the interview episodes, but we would love for someone to interview you. And I've been resisting that up until this moment, but I was like, hey, let, let's, let's give it a try. But I need you to help me build that episode. I, you can pose your questions on ministry and leader or leadership, you know, personal growth, preaching, or, or just life in general, even anything you want. And uh, all you've got to do is if you follow me on social media at Adam M. Shaw on Instagram, you can send me a message or simply reply to one of my stories that I throw out there with a question, or you can click on the link in the show notes. It's a simple Google form. You've probably seen it a thousand times. And you just fill that link out. You can ask a couple of questions and I'll bring a guest host into the studio, which is my basement, and uh, we will do an interview and I will answer your questions. Thank you as always for liking um, this, this podcast and listening and, and sharing, leaving a review. It really kind of bumps up um, this, this podcast in, uh, you know, in the various platforms that are out there and just helps to get more apostolic content into people's ears.
You know, one thing I've discovered is that it's human nature to project our understanding and experience onto the world and to universalize it, to make it, to make it that this is how it always is. I remember when Judah, as a toddler, he's about to turn seven, but I remember when he, um, he was a toddler, he was like three years old, and, and he saw a TV playing network television for the first time. We don't have um, cable or anything like that in our house. It's just not something we're into. And uh, he saw he saw network television playing for the first time, and he didn't like what was on. And so as a three-year-old, he walked up, and he tried to swipe the screen with his hand because he didn't like the show. And so I had to explain to him that not all screens were touch screens, and you couldn't just swipe up and to the left and find something else to do. It was a great it was a great combo to have with a toddler and it's just he was projecting his experience that he had had with our screens in our house onto all screens and it's not just something kids do. I mean, if you've ever traveled abroad, you've had to learn some new cultural norms, learn what is polite, how people approach time or driving. This is why it's so important that we are intentional about trying to see and understand the world and life from perspectives not our own. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them or feel that they're right or true, but it helps you just get that larger understanding of the word of of the world and this is especially true of the Bible and the world of the Bible. When we project our cultural understanding of a concept onto a text that is thousands of years old, there are things that we miss and there's stuff that we lose. In fact, you know, this is the big argument that apostolics make all the time when it comes to the concept of faith. As an example, that we say that faith has always included obedience. In fact, we would say that obedience is part of the response to faith, that if you have faith but you don't have works, you don't actually have faith, that faith is not mental assent, that mental assent alone as faith is not a biblical concept but a later construct, a much later construct that would be completely foreign to the authors of the Bible. And I know this was the case for me with the concept of adoption. The concept, I was projecting a modern understanding of adoption back onto the text. And man, did, was I ever missing some stuff. Now, but before I get too, too ahead of, of myself, let me back up a little bit. There's one great big passage that's quoted a lot when it comes to this concept of adoption. It's found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Let's look at it in context, though. Let's read verse 14, and then let's go down to verse 17. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we, also, we may also be glorified together. So here, here, here is my experience. I got the basics right. I have been adopted by God. 
and he is my Abba Father. But then I would repeat popular phrases like the scripture says we receive the spirit. You know, I'm going to use my preacher voice, adopt the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry Abba. And then I would say Abba me is a personal name for father, like daddy. And we would, you know, we receive the Holy Spirit and, and God becomes like our daddy. And it's the cry of a child out to our dad. But I would never say daddy God because that's weird and I'm not a creep. But I digress. The problem was, again, I was projecting my modern understanding of adoption as what people do with small kids and babies without thinking critically and then without studying deeply myself. Let's, let's think about this critically for a moment. When we speak of someone becoming a Christian, what do we call it? What do we call that conversion? We call it a new birth. We call it being born or becoming born again. We use Jesus' words of John 3, where Jesus defines conversion for us. That unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We use these terms, as, as Dr. James Little says in his amazing, amazing book, More Like Him, which you need to get, by the way. He states, we use the terms new birth to show the beginning or infant relationship that someone has with the family of God. And this concept of new birth describing our infant relationship with the kingdom of God fits all of the other images in scripture about conversion, you know, of our old life being buried with Jesus through baptism in his name and the Holy Spirit resurrecting us to a, a brand new life. All of these images speak to being born again, becoming a new creation, but adoption doesn't fit this imagery if it is to be applied to us as infants in the kingdom of God. Are we born into the kingdom of God or are we adopted? These images clash if, if we're trying to use them to speak about the same thing. Further, the passage that I just read to you seems to focus on the fact that we are now heirs with Christ. This means that claims to, you know, rights and inheritance as, as heirs of Christ are ours as adopted sons and daughters. And, and the passage kind of ends off with, if we are willing to suffer like him, we will be glorified like him. But the final nail in the coffin for me, when I begin to look at this subject of adoption and explore what the Bible really has to say about it, is the, is the historical case. It was removing my modern cultural filter from the text and trying to put myself in the sandal leather of the people who wrote it in the worldview and the culture in which they lived. Now, I owe a tremendous debt here, again, to Dr. James Little's in his book, More Like Him, you can find it at the Pentecostal Publishing House. Shout out to the Pentecostal Publishing House. This is not a sponsored post, but if you're listening, I'm open. <laughs> Just kidding. You all really need to get his book on More Like Him. It's about spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. It's excellent. Um, I owe another debt as well to Hugh Lindsay, Adoption in the Roman World, Matthew Bates, Salvation by Allegiance Alone. And of course, like any good preacher and any good researcher anywhere, Wikipedia. And as I begin to jump into the history 
of adoption in the ancient world, it completely shattered my modern perception because adoption had nothing to do with rescuing little babies or rescuing little children, like, like at all. Had nothing to do with that. Adoption in the Roman and Jewish world, Dr. Little says, served different purposes. Adoption served to ensure the continuation of a person's lineage, business, or empire. And he gives an example in his book from the Old Testament, that this, this extends even to the Old Testament, that Jacob adopted Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, in order that he may elevate them from a status of grandsons to a full status as sons, as inheritors of all that he had. But more relevant to the history of the New Testament and the world of the apostles is the Greco-Roman world. And in that world, succession and legacy were extremely important. It was absolutely necessary to pass down your legacy, your fortune, and your kingdom, catch this, to a qualified person who would continue on what you started. And in Roman culture, if there were no heirs or if the blood relative, the blood heir was simply an unqualified individual, that Roman ruler, Roman leader would adopt. And this was especially true of the emperors. Julius Caesar and nearly every other emperor in the Roman Empire used adoption to solidify their legacy and secure and stabilize the empire in critical moments of transition. So a, when a leader knew that he was getting ready to pass off the scene, when it was time to hand the baton to the next generation, in order to ensure succession, he would adopt a a, a grown man with a proven leadership record as his son to elevate him into an emperor-in-waiting status. In other words, adoption wasn't something you did with kids. It's something that you did with fully mature, qualified, and appointed leaders to transition them and the empire to another season. You may be like, this is really cool. This will help me on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader Bible Edition? But Adam, what in the world does this mean for me as a leader? What does this have to do with giving, my, giving me my why on personal growth that you promised me at the beginning of the episode? Why should I care about this? Number one, when you understand a biblical concept of adoption, it results in a massive mental shift in how you see yourself in the kingdom of God. Understanding adoption gives us a fresh picture of our new identity in Jesus. The new birth speaks to our infant relationship. It speaks to that moment of conversion where we become a child again and we are born into the God's kingdom. But adoption speaks to our calling and our purpose. Adoption is about your, your potential future fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. We're not poor outcasts. 
Discarded orphan children, a la Oliver Twist, waiting for some wealthy and benevolent family to take us in and keep our flea-bitten, good-for-nothing selves safe. God has not adopted us like a box of puppies on the side of the road that need a forever home. Adoption tells us that Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that he could bring us into his family and use us to be leaders or shape us into leaders waiting in the wings for the time that we are called to lead the kingdom that he started. He brought us into the kingdom so we may be the continuation of what he began in his earthly ministry. Once the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, we have to realize that God chose us with and for his purpose. I have been adopted to lead. I have been adopted to have influence and to use my gifts to further the empire of King Jesus. Adoption is Jesus appointing successors to the kingdom of God to continue on earth what he began over 2,000 years ago. I want you to listen to the other adoption passage in Galatians 4. And once you have this historical understanding, it makes this verse or this passage of verses come, come alive. It says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by the Father. Even so, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Why should you care? Number one, as I said, understanding adoption completely reframes how you see yourself. Number two, here's why you should care and how it impacts your life as a leader. When someone was adopted, all claims to that person by their previous family or previous parents were now totally dissolved. When Julius Caesar adopted his son, his family had no more claim of ownership or identity with him any longer. Whatever you were before is now entirely superseded by your adoption. Your new Abba, your new father, now holds claim over your entire identity. This is why, this is where we're going to move into some application here for a moment. This is why I am concerned when leaders in the kingdom of God become too political. Now, I'm not talking about speaking about moral issues, even current moral issues like listen to my podcast on racism or having conversations about about the, the human genocide of abortion. I'm talking about where your dialogue in person and online is filled 
more with who is up for election than who is forever seated upon the throne. And that's that's not a cliche. If you've been adopted as a leader in Christ's kingdom, whatever identity you had before that adoption has now been overwhelmed by your new identity as a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean we should not leverage our rights as citizens, because we should. Paul did in the book of Acts. It helped him out a whole lot. But if someone can go through your Twitter feed and you're liking 20 or 30 highly politically divisive tweets a day, there's a focus problem there. If who is in office impacts your faith in God's ability to fulfill his word and for your city to see revival, it could be that your political preferences may be overshadowing your identity as a citizen of another world or as a son of a kingdom that's not of this world. I, I'm, I love being a Canadian. I'm, I'm Canadian for those that didn't know. I, I love being a Canadian citizen. I love my country. Saw a guy drive by in a pickup truck the other day with a Canadian flag flying on the top of a hockey stick. And my heart swelled with pride. I love being Canadian. But I'm a follower of Jesus first. And the most important thing for me is that my allegiance is to Jesus and his mission for my life first. This means at all times I have to be holding my personal, cultural, and political preferences up to the light of the word of God and saying, what do you think about this, Jesus? Does this fit our family identity? And if it doesn't, no matter how much I feel like it's part of me, it needs, it needs to go. Dissolved identity also talks about your personal identity or your past. Look, I hope that you have a great testimony of the goodness and graciousness of God. I love to hear the stories of how chains were broken off of people's lives when they came in contact with Jesus or they received the Holy Ghost. I still tear up hearing the testimonies of how my family came into the church. But if your whole identity is wrapped up in who you used to be and where you once were, rethink that a bit. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's part of your story. But it's no longer part of you. That past baggage and its ability to define you has actually been dissolved in Jesus and it has no more claim over you. So whatever you need to pray through, whatever you need to talk through or fast through or get help or counseling through so you can shed that past baggage off of your life so it's no longer a part of who you are as a person, you need to do that because you have been adopted into the family of God. I want to hear more about where you're going than where you were. The mandate, the mission, and the interests of your adopted father now take precedent over everything else in your life. So, given these two principles, a shift in identity 
and that all claims to prior or past identity have been dissolved or overwhelmed by Jesus, let's think through the implications or the practical application for a moment. And I know we, we talked about some things a couple of seconds ago, but, but let's, think, let's think through some more application here for a second. One of the first things that, that came to my mind was this. You're a leader at all times. You're a leader at all times. At no point is a king not a king. At no point is a daughter not a daughter. At no point is a son not a son. Adopted for purpose is part of your identity. Here's an example. Back in the olden days, I don't know if it was, you know, goes back to the 18th century uh, or before, your surname or your last name was indicative of what you did. So you had a first name or a given name, you know, Bob, Sam, Adam, but your surname was more than just a family name. Your family name was actually a title of your vocation. For example, Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. That meant woodworker, craftsman. Smith, that was a metal worker or a metal craftsman. Cooper, that was a barrel maker. Webster, that was a weaver. These family names represented multiple generations of people that were skilled in the family business. And so from one generation to the next, the vacation was passed down so much so that it was part of your name. It was part of your identity. Thinking through the lens of adoption tells me this, that I'm a leader at all times because kingdom purpose is not positional, it is relational. It's the work of a son, it's the work of a daughter. And that you and I stand in line with multiple generations of people who have been adopted into the kingdom so that we may all add value to it. Now, this is going to look differently in each stage of life, but no matter what you do, the purpose remains because it's simply a part of who you are. And since you are a leader, because you are a leader at all times, there is no moment when your conduct, your character, your ethics or behavior should ever not reflect the kingdom of your heavenly father. Adoption smashes the career mentality and approach to ministry that has riddled the body of Christ. It smashes the political mentality and approach that has riddled the body of Christ. Because it's family. You're, ad you're an adopted son at all times. At no moment is there ever an off switch to the role that God has called you into. And I'm not saying that you're a workaholic or that you have poor boundaries or that you should burn yourself out. I'm just saying that at home, at work, at church, you should be the same. You're a leader at all times. You've been brought into the kingdom to have influence, and that never goes off. There should be no church you and home you. You should strive to be consistent and even all of the time. I guess, I guess the bottom line is this. If I was going to add a you know, bottom line to this episode that would, that would summarize the application 
of looking at adoption in the Bible this way. The bottom line is this. Take yourself seriously because Jesus certainly does. Take yourself seriously. Jesus most certainly does. See, in a way, my old understanding of adoption, the Danny God approach, eases off the pressure and the call for me to grow because I'm perpetually a little kid. I'm always, I'm always a child coming to God like a kid comes to a father. Now, there is an element of that in our relationship with Jesus because his ways are so high above my ways and his thoughts are so above my thoughts that no matter how much I grow, I, I will never be as wise, as smart, as holy, as righteous, as powerful as Jesus ever. I won't. So there always will be that subservient quality to my relationship. But adoption rounds out this by also saying, be mature. The king adopts the fully grown with the expectation they will act, serve, and lead as fully grown heirs in the kingdom of God. Adoption tells me to take my role in the kingdom, to expand it, whatever title is ascribed to my life. Right now, I'm an executive pastor, I'm a youth president, and I'm a preacher. I'm a podcaster. I won't do all of these things forever. These titles won't always be mine forever. That doesn't matter. My purpose to make disciples and to expand God's kingdom will remain the same. And I need to function as a fully mature and grown heir of that kingdom with this particular purpose. You need to grow with the Holy Spirit's help into your role as an adopted son or daughter of God. So here are some questions for reflection. I want you to grab a pen, some paper. I want you to write these down and then at a later date, journal them, journal your answers, maybe share them with somebody that listened to the listen to this podcast with you and, and compare your answers. Here are some questions to help you think through personal application of this, this concept that's in the podcast today. Number one, how does understanding that I have been adopted to lead and to have influence in God's kingdom transform my current view of myself? Number two, what do I need to do to become that adopted leader that God wants me to be? More specifically, what strengths need to be developed? We all, have, we all have some strengths. You've all got things that you bring to the table. It's, it's not arrogance or pride for you to identify that God has given you certain gifts. He's, he's ingrained within your personality certain talents. You need to identify them. Identify what strengths need to be developed and how are you going to develop them. Number two, in what areas do you lack? I want you to name two or three critical things that are holding you back, that are keeping you from becoming who you need to be, who God has appointed you to be. 
And what do you need to do to fill in those gaps? If you don't know, write down, ask for help. Write down, pray that God would show me what to do. What do you need to do to fill in those gaps? And develop an action plan. Dialogue these answers with, with friends and family and people that, people that you trust that will help you grow. I, I know what maybe some are thinking right now. You may be thinking, well, Adam, aren't you thinking too much of yourself? Aren't, aren't you trying to get us to think too much of ourselves and to become puffed up with pride? That No, I, I don't think so. I think all we're doing is we're rounding out the biblical images of salvation and of our new identity in Jesus. See, the new birth speaks to my conversion and my immaturity. My old me is dead because of Jesus. There was nothing I could do to fix my old life. There was nothing I could do to make myself better. I literally had to die and be buried in Christ. So through the new birth, I am a child all over again. No matter, you know, what success I have in my life from the moment of conversion, I'm a kid and I'm growing up as a new creature in Christ. The parables of Jesus in the gospels, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the prodigal son, they, they speak to my wretchedness and my sin and my inability to save myself. I was lost I had no way to get back, and it took the actions of the good shepherd in order to find me. I was unable to save myself, I've, you know, and I repented, and it was the graciousness of my heavenly Father that has restored me as a son or daughter of God. I'm totally dependent upon the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. The images that, that abound about salvation in Scripture are just, they just overwhelmingly speak that, that there's nothing that I can do without Jesus. I have been rescued by God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But what adoption does is adoption speaks to the potential that Jesus saw in me, that if he could get a hold of me and he could wash me of my sin, fill me with his spirit, this is who he wants me to become. Adoption rounds out the biblical images of salvation by speaking to my purpose and calling me to grow, to rise, the high calling that God has placed on my life. He's adopted you with the expectation that you are or soon will become fully mature, ready to handle the rigors of leading and expanding the empire of his kingdom on earth. I don't know if you've looked at the news headlines lately, but we need everybody involved. We need everybody waking up every day saying, God has chosen me with purpose. God has called me to have influence. God has called me to minister to my world and to reach people because Jesus is coming back. It's time for all of us to grow. It's time for all of us to take our role as sons and daughters of God seriously. And let's see collectively what revival God can bring to the earth through our efforts and by his spirit. 
Thank you so much for listening today. Please subscribe if you're not a subscriber to The Restorationist. Share this episode. If there's someone in your circle, in your friends or family or your local church that you feel would benefit from this, please send that to them. And if you can, leave us a rating, leave us a review. It helps push this podcast out there and expose more and more people to our content. May God bless you and you have a wonderful rest of your day.